It is Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Callum. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, a chicken farm crisis. And the smell was just, it was horrendous. So we started cleaning that mess up ourselves, and the state hasn't been back out, nor has cooks, and nobody's said anything about compensating us for what we did or why they never showed up. Plus, putting real faces and voices to the poor maternal health numbers in Arkansas. We definitely have um, specific areas of focus that we will be focusing on in the future. But right now, we are truly in the listening phase of our campaign. And a wearable art party at Mount Sequoia. And it's a big deal, and I've always wanted to go and do that, but it's in New Zealand, it's hard to get to, and so I decided to kind of create a sister event of it here. First up, the latest news from NPR. Walton Art Center's 10 by 10 Art Series presents the Galvin Cello Quartet, January 30th at 7 p.m. With members from China, Brazil, South Korea, and the U.S., this diverse ensemble presents a program featuring works by Stravinsky, Vivaldi, Rossini, Gershwin, and others, illustrating the connections that form when cultures are integrated through musical harmony. Tickets at waltonartscenter.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. I'm Matthew Moore. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF Public Radio a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ahead today, a conversation with the Frisco Kid. He's a local comedian, and he sat down with Randy Wilburn to discuss his journey from L.A. to N.W.A., the budding comedy scene, and more. That's in our second half hour. First, though, at the end of last year, a crisis arose amongst the state's poultry growers. Cook's Venture, a company that contracted many farms to grow their chickens across northern Arkansas, suddenly went out of business with no warning, leaving many farmers with thousands of chickens that weren't theirs. What's more, a deadly poultry virus was sweeping the nation, causing the state of Arkansas to euthanize over a million birds. But they were never cleaned up. Ozarks at Large's Jack Travis spoke with an affected farmer to learn more about this calamity. Leslie Harp is the owner of Empty Pockets Ranch in Clifty. At 5.30 in the morning on November 17th, Harp finished filling one of her chicken houses with chickens owned by a company called Cook's Venture. Cook's is an Arkansas-based company specializing in heirloom fowl. Harp has been a contract grower for the company for the past three years. She was expecting more shipments of birds to fill the rest of the houses on her ranch within the following weeks. Two hours later, at 7.30 a.m., she learned that Cook's Venture would be shutting down permanently, leaving Harp with 72,000 chickens and no clear indication of what was next. In less than two weeks, those chickens would be dead, foamed to death by the Department of Agriculture and left to rot. Here's Harp. We have not had any conversations since they left with Cook's or the state on what they were going to do to come clean them up. So those birds sat there in our houses for 11 days before my husband and I were like, yeah, we've got to do something with this. They're not coming back out. Because Cooks wouldn't answer my phone calls at that point in time. I tried to call them. We tried to contact them. They wouldn't answer the phone call. So we were finally like, okay, we've got to do this ourselves. They're not coming back out. So the birds sat there 11 days un- untouched. Um, and they were rotting at that point in time. And the smell was just, it was horrendous. So we started cleaning that mess up ourselves. And the state hasn't been back out, nor has Cooks. And nobody's said anything about compensating us for what we did or why they never showed up. But let's back up. 
When Harp first learned of Cook's closure, the company assured her they could continue raising the chickens until they were four pounds. The chickens would then be processed for food. Harp says she wished that had happened. She had plenty of water, food, and heat for the birds and was prepared to raise them. However, plans kept changing over the following weeks. Finally, on Tuesday, November 28th, she received a call from her live production manager who said the state would come the next day to depopulate the chickens. And I was like, wait a minute, that was not the plan yesterday. I was like, what, what plan changed? And he said that some things have happened within the company. We're just depopulating all the chickens. And I was like, well, can I keep the birds? I was like, I have plenty of feed, plenty of water, plenty of heat. You know, I have a generator that runs. You know, I'm, I'm set up to run for the wintertime. I was like, we're good to go. I was like, can, we, can I keep the birds? And they told me no. We didn't feel like we had an option because within that letter, they stated the company would be closing down between the no- November 20th and November 30th. Um, so on November 29th, which was the day that birds were supposed they were coming out to depopulate, the company was still technically in business at that point in time. So we didn't feel like we had an option to really, I guess, stand up and say, no, you're not coming out here because we were still under contract with this company and these were technically still their birds at that point in time. So we allowed the state to come out on the on the 29th of November and the state of Arkansas come out and foamed our chickens and smothered them and killed all. I had 72,000 birds in my chicken houses at that point in time, and they killed all 72,000 of them. Harp says that although they occasionally received sick chickens, Cook's closing was unexpected and more importantly, uncommunicated until the last second. She says the rug was pulled out from under her leaving her responsible for picking up the pieces. Harp isn't alone, either. Cooks had contracts with dozens of chicken farms across northern Arkansas. In the end, the Department of Agriculture depopulated 1.3 million chickens in farms across the region. I contacted the department to learn more from Secretary Wes Ward or Livestock and Poultry Division Director Patrick Fisk. I was declined an interview, but the Director of Communications, Amy Lyman, sent me some telling documents over email. According to one document titled Cook's Venture Responses, the depopulation was in response to an outbreak of highly pathogenic avian influenza, or HPAI. It's a viral disease affecting poultry and wild birds. HPAI is often fatal to chickens and spreads rapidly from flock to flock. According to the department, the only available control is depopulation. Last year, There was an HPAI outbreak that affected over 1,000 flocks in 47 states, requiring the depopulation of more than 79 million birds across the country. Arkansas had four flocks of infected chickens. The Department of Agriculture established an HPAI control zone at least 6.21 miles beyond the perimeter of the closest site of infection. That control zone included nine farms associated with Cook's Venture, although Cooks requested that the state euthanize all chickens owned by the company. Harp says her birds, and the majority of birds owned by Cooks Venture, were perfectly healthy. She would have rather raised the chickens on her farm and then donated the meat to people in need. Well, yeah, that's wasted money and wasted meat. I mean, that's those chickens, when they're 63 days old, are like six and a half pounds. And you take, I think that one farm that they killed, he had 70,000 birds on his farm that were six and a half pounds that's a lot of poundage there that could have been processed somewhere to donate um, the meat somewhere for these families in arkansas that can't afford to buy you know food or low-income families or homeless you know shelters or something 
that they could have donated that meat to instead of just sitting there now they're those chickens are dead and rotting and having to be buried somewhere instead of being processed to, to be able to feed other people in the state of arkansas regardless of why it happened the chickens are dead in a letter dated december 7th cook's venture coo tim singleton assured one farmer that quote removal of the birds the transportation of the birds and the disposal method of the birds will be done under a state of Arkansas approved permit as the state has approved our plan of euthanasia, transportation, and disposal. But as we previously heard from Harp, that promised removal never occurred. She says, despite hardship, she was a relatively lucky farmer in this ordeal. There are farmers that were, that their birds were 63 days old, but they were big, big chickens when the state came in and depopulated them. So, I mean, they were huge chickens, and the state just come in and killed them because cooks said they couldn't take care of them no more. I didn't have, I mean, yes, we had a lot to deal with as far as the little babies that had that came in, and we spent a lot of money keeping those birds warm for those 13 days. But these other farmers out here who had 60-day-old birds, that's devastating to them. I mean, you know, you can't, they have, they have to go bury their chickens. So they're having to dig holes in their, on their farm now and scoop those out by bucketfuls and take them out and go bury them somewhere on their farm because they had big chickens. And the, and the cooks wouldn't come get them and have them processed anywhere. They just had the state come in and kill them. State Senator Brian King has been a poultry grower for 33 years. So when he heard of this injustice, it hit close to home. He says cooks had been experiencing financial difficulties and should not have allowed growers to enter into new contracts or receive new shipments of birds. He reached out via letter to Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders on December 8th to request emergency funding for farmers who are left with thousands of dead birds on their farms. Department of Agriculture Secretary Wes Ward responded to King via letter, saying the proper role of government does not include state assumption of private debts. Poultry Division Director Patrick Fisk addressed a concerned group of poultry growers in a meeting about Cook's venture closing and said he felt that it was the state's job to assist the company. King says he disagrees. I think that's so wrong. I don't even know where to begin. It's not his job to assist the company. It's his job to assist the taxpayers and the citizens of Arkansas. That's his job. He's not supposed to be uh, take the company line in this, uh, which he did. Uh, the, first, the second thing, as far as the cleanup aspect of this, when you're talking about, I think as high as I've heard figures of 1.8 million chickens being depopulated, when you look at the overall situation uh, with that, the birds should have been processed either and in, in, in used for dog food. I mean, uh, they should have forced the company to process the chickens that, are, that were out there in the field. That would have been the most ideal situation, and the state should have taken over the cleanup process of this much like they did the stumped up fire up in Bella Vista, much like uh, the Mayflower oil spill, those type of situations when you have that kind of impact environmentally and everything, uh, the state should have took it over this and then then tried to get the money out of Cook. The Secretary of Agriculture uh, needs investigated over this and their actions because, you know, when I wrote the letter and they denied it, uh, they should have... Uh, you know, they said it was a bailout. I mean, there was nothing any farther from the truth. As of Friday, January 19th, Harp says she's still stuck in a contract with Cook's Venture and has had to pick up extra work outside of her farm to make ends meet. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jack Travis. 
Ozarks at Large reached out to Cook's Venture for comment on this story, but did not hear back in time for our reporting. Jack Travis produces his stories inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One. Later this hour, collecting real-life experiences as a way to combat Arkansas's poor maternal health numbers. We want folks to know that this is really about telling your story from your heart. Um, And again, just hoping that by sharing these stories, it encourages other moms to speak up because there's power in numbers. That story later this hour on Ozarks at Large. The city of Springdale is seeking public input on active transportation routes and proposed changes. The deadline to fill out the survey is January 31st, and it asks about current trail usage, opinions on new infrastructure, and proposed changes to the city's street and trail network. Tristan Hill, the Active Transportation Coordinator for Springdale, says they want as much feedback as possible. You know, that's the point of doing these kind of surveys. Um, we, You can take and you can build trails all across town, but if you don't know what people need, where they're trying to go, what they want to connect to. It doesn't really do anybody any good. So it's just, it's, we really want to push the fact that this community involvement is important and it's going to have an impact on the infrastructure and it's going to benefit a lot of people if, if you tell, tell us what you think. The focus is on exploring potential east and west routes in the city. Tristan says there are several trails that run north and south, but there's an overall shortage, particularly on the west side of town. We just we really want to know how people are using their bikes currently, uh, their bikes or walking or trails in general. Really, we want, we want to know what they would like to see different. We're we're looking for this public input because we have a lot of gaps in the trail network in Springdale right now, and the best way to fill them is to hear from the people that use the trails. Springdale and other cities are working closely with Ozark Regional Transit to promote public transportation and trails to provide bus stops in more convenient connections. The study is available in Spanish and English. We, we would love the opportunity to tie in trails to bus stops more, you know, so you can make those last mile connections. You can take the bus and then you can hop off and grab your bike and ride the rest of the way to Walmart or Harps or whatever it might be. For a long time, uh, the trails were sort of recreation focused or based, you know, people who just want to exercise, want to ride their bikes, whatever it may be. But this is an opportunity to kind of shift that focus more toward transportation. You know, how can you get across town? How can you, you know, commute to work? How can you pick up your groceries? How can you pick up your kids? We're looking for schools. We're looking for employers. So yeah, that that shift that we're, we're trying to make from recreation to recreation and transportation both. You can find a link to that survey at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. And in Fayetteville, the city's public works department is working on an analysis of all sidewalks and streets. This analysis will be done by Infrastructure Management Services, or IMG, and is another step in the process towards restructuring damaged or deteriorating public roads and pavement in the city. Public Works Director Chris Brown explains. Mainly the uh, the work that they are doing for us is uh, collecting data to develop what's called a pavement condition index. So they have 
vans that have technology on them that they drive around, uh, drive every single street, and it collects data that shows cracks, patches, potholes, other surface defects, and kind of aggregates that data to develop a pavement condition index. That pavement condition index is a single number rated 0 to 100, with 100 being the best condition and 0 the worst. In 2018, the IMG used computer technology to create a rough estimate of Fayetteville's sidewalks and road quality, and now they will be going street to street to confirm it. But when will that be fixed? Chris says they use another computer program to determine the timeline and the price tag. So we have a a certain amount of budget available to do street overlay, surface treatments, whatever they may be. Um, And the computer program optimizes and selects the streets um, at the optimum time in that deterioration curve to uh, get the best bang for our buck, essentially. So uh, there's a certain period in the the time of a life of a pavement that um, if if you do something before that period, then you're probably spending money that you don't need to spend. If you wait until too long, then the amount of repairs that you have to do on it becomes exponentially higher. So there's kind of a sweet spot where uh, that's the, the optimum time uh, to do whatever the, the treatment is that you're, uh, that you're looking at. The data collection was originally expected to be completed by the end of February, but winter weather conditions have delayed the work. This is Mozarks at Large. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today is National Maternal Health Day, and this comes just a few days after a new project was launched in Arkansas for Arkansas parents to share their stories about their experiences before, during, and after pregnancy. Arkansans for Improving Maternal Health, or AIM, is collecting stories from families who've dealt with poor maternal health outcomes in an effort to humanize the grim statistics often associated with Arkansas and maternal health. Arkansas consistently ranks at or near the bottom of national maternal health numbers. It's estimated that 2% of all Arkansas women have a disease that can complicate pregnancy. And more than half of Arkansas counties are considered maternal health deserts. Ashley Bearden-Campbell, the executive director of Arkansans for Improving Maternal Health, says the organization has a multi-pronged platform for improving maternal health in Arkansas, and it begins with this story collection project. We definitely have um, specific areas of focus that we will be focusing on in the future, but right now we are truly in the listening phase of our campaign. Um, We are really interested in gathering stories from moms and families that have experienced negative and sometimes devastating outcomes as a result of poor maternal health care. So by gathering these stories through our platform, aimforarkansas.org, not only can these moms and families share their stories, but be a part of a community that is very supportive um, and also show our policymakers through these voices that this is an urgent and statewide issue um, and that they have the support that they need to take action on these issues in the future. We have been talking about, reporting about, discussing the, the poor maternal health 
and, and in, in Arkansas for some time. And what we often do is use statistics, right? 50th or 51st, or we'll talk about how many mothers or, or children are at risk. What can a story do that these statistics, as devastating and alarming as they may be, might not be able to do? Sure. So just as you said, these statistics are truly alarming. I mean, being number one in the nation for maternal mortality and knowing that the majority of those deaths are preventable um, is it's heartbreaking, but it's really important for these families to know that they're not just another number. And frankly, I didn't want to just be another statistic because I am one of these voices and I do have a story to tell. I delivered my daughter incredibly early at 28 weeks, five days, and she weighed just two pounds, four ounces. So we had a really long um, and tedious NICU journey ahead of us. And while we were dealing with that, I was also dealing with postpartum anxiety, depression, and PTSD. So when you're struggling with both, with anything, I mean, that's a lot in and of itself. Um, but having those mental health issues compiling on top of that, I mean, again, that's just something that a lot of folks aren't talking about. There's such a stigma around mental health in general, which is something that we want to change the conversation around. Um, but specifically mothers, you know, there's a lot of pressure on moms to not talk about how difficult it is. Um, to be a first-time mom in general, but especially when you have a child that's dealing with health problems. So by putting a face to these stories, we hope that it makes a real connection with Arkansans and, again, with policymakers as well. How will you collect the, the stories? Sure. So we've made it really, really simple by going to aimforarkansas.org. We have a portal where families can upload their stories directly to the website. Um, we're not looking for anything fancy. You know, I'm recording right here in my basement laundry room. So um, we want folks to know that this is really about telling your story from your heart. Um, and again, just hoping that by sharing these stories, it encourages other moms to speak up because there's power in numbers. How can these stories after collected be used? So they'll be used again, just really on the website. Um, no, it's hard to be the first person <laughs> to go forward, you know, and talk about something, especially when it's such a delicate and sensitive topic. So I think that when folks go to the website and they see that there are other moms talking about either mental health issues, access issues, affordability issues, um, that it will encourage them to also tell their story. And again, a really supportive um, platform. And then I know that Aim for Arkansas will will advocate for better access, which is, is a big challenge for, for many Arkansans, especially those in rural Arkansas. Um, as, as, and there will be other um, things that, that AIM for Arkansas will, will advocate for, correct? Uh, sure. So, I mean, once we hear from more Arkansans and more families across the state, that will guide um, what our actions are in the future. So we are focused on three pillars of access, affordability, and quality maternal health care. Um, there are a few policies that, of course, we will support in the future, including um, increasing reimbursement rates for providers for, like you said, to address the maternal um, maternity deserts that we have across the state. I mean, two-thirds of our counties not having um, a delivery facility is 
is crazy. I mean, that's just something, that's a gap that we absolutely have to address um, because these moms that are pregnant, they have no access to the prenatal care that they need. So by increasing these reimbursement rates for providers who deliver these babies, it allows them to continue in their practice. Um, and we're also going to be focusing on training more providers to address the high number of these maternal health care deserts that we have in our state. Um, and finally, extending Medicaid coverage from 60 days to 12 months. Um, you know, Arkansas is one of only eight states that has not passed this legislation yet, and it's had a lot of bipartisan support. So our hope is that um, our policymakers will see these stories, again, from every corner of the state and see that they have the support that they need to take more action on these issues and also built upon the successes um, that they've already been working on. Actually, I want to go back to something you said. Two-thirds of Arkansas counties would be considered a maternity desert? Yes, a maternal health desert. That's 50 counties. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's devastating. And I, I can't imagine being, you know, 30 weeks. I didn't make it that far, but being, you know, in your third trimester and having to travel hours just to receive the care that you need. Um, and as most moms know, you know, the further along you get in pregnancy, the more doctor's appointments you have, sometimes weekly. So it's incredibly important that these moms have access and um, within close proximity so that it's less stress on them. And we know that obviously preventative health care measures um, have a cost savings down the line. So the more action we take on the front end, not only will we save dollars on the back end, um, but we have better outcomes for the family and our communities, which also, of course, contributes to the economy as a whole. And I'm imagining some of those 50 counties that are maternity health deserts are adjacent to other counties that are maternity health deserts. So you could be in a county that's several counties away from, from you know, necessary maternal health checkups. Absolutely. I mean, being in such a rural state in general, you know, sometimes there's only a county hospital. Um, so you're, you're exactly right. These families are having to travel and, and make a lot of special provisions just to get the prenatal health care that they need to have a better health outcome after they deliver. You mentioned um, that we don't like to talk about uh, postpartum anxiety or depression or mental health challenges. What inspired you to talk about yours? Sure. So um, I was honestly the first of some of my really close friends to have a child. And so I was not aware that um, there were signs of, again, postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, what it may be that I should be looking out for. So when a NICU nurse took me aside and said that she realized that I was experiencing some of these symptoms um, and offered resources to get me help, I mean, that really hit home for me. I realized that, A, nobody's really talking about this out loud, and B, other people need to know that they're not alone in this issue. So that really spurred um, my action to find ways to get involved and elevate this issue. Well, th thank goodness for that NICU nurse. Oh my gosh, she's an angel on earth. Um, I, I don't think she wants to be talked about publicly right now, but I, I hope at some point she gets the recognition that she deserves because she truly changed my life. Um, I don't know, you know, what position I would be in if I had not gotten the help that I needed, especially during that time when I was just so focused on uh, the needs of my daughter. Um, but thankfully, again, I was able to get the help I need and still continue to get to this day. And that's something that I'm really proud of. Um, it takes a lot to do work on yourself. And um, there's no time frame for when that should begin or end. But we just really want to make sure that these families at least have 
the information that they need to make those informed decisions. I also would point out that um, in your call for stories, so just moms, you would like to hear from dads as well, if they're willing to tell a story. Absolutely. You know, I mean, my struggles alone, they didn't just affect me. They absolutely affected our entire family. My husband was a rock for me. Um, And it's incredibly important. I mean, families look, there's lots of different ways that families can look. And so, of course, we would love to hear from moms, but it's important to hear from dads. It's important to hear from grandparents, um, from foster parents, anybody that has had any type of struggle with um, mental health issues, the access, the affordability, or even just the quality of health care, their stories deserve to be heard. And one more time, if someone hears this and would like to share a story or knows someone who might also want to share a story, where do they go? How do they do it? Sure. So all you have to do is go to aimforarkansas.org. That's A-I-M for Arkansas.org, where you can find more information about our mission and also upload your personal story and see stories from other moms that have experienced similar things to you. Finally, when we talk about things like maternity health deserts in two-thirds of the counties, this is a challenge that will take some time and some money. Are you optimistic that if you and I had a conversation, I don't know, three, five 10 years from now, we will have seen improvements in Arkansas? I do. I absolutely do believe that um, there is an appetite for working working towards improving Arkansas on this issue. We've seen bipartisan support in the past on a number of issues. Um, and, you know, some of that comes down to dollars and cents. So the more voices that we have speaking up, again, the more support that these policymakers can see that they have to take real action. We have some really amazing advocates that are doing great work across the state um, and academics that are putting these statistics out. So again, our goal is really to put a face to these statistics and let these stories truly be heard and connect with other Arkansans across the state. This is Ozarks at Large. Happy Tuesday. If you're looking for consistency, look no further than Randy Wilburn. He's released more than 250 episodes of his podcast, I Am Northwest Arkansas, without missing a week. Showing up matters, and that's something he holds in common with the guest on his latest episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas, Francisco Valencia. The Frisco Kid, as he's known, is a local comedian who's been putting in the time to work on his craft and build up a fan base. Here's an excerpt from this week's episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. Showing up and finally got over the hunt. And now it's, like I said, right now it's just the phone is just blowing nonstop. It's so exciting for me because I'm like, man, this is, I got to, I need a schedule now. You know, so I'm looking, so many things are happening and I'm very excited. Yeah. Well, you should be, man. And and I certainly applaud you and your team. I'll have to get everybody's correct spellings down so I can put all that in the show notes and folks can find out where they can next see the Frisco Kid. And I I definitely want to come out to a show because I'm a big comedy fan. You know, I go way back, right, to like Richard Pryor. I remember as a kid growing up, you know, comedy for me was like LaWanda Page who played on, uh, what was it, uh, Sanford and Son. And she played, she was a foil to Red Fox's character, to Fred Sanford. And 
as a kid, I couldn't listen to her records because they were, you know, they yeah. were kind of like not X-rated, but R-rated, right? Yeah. And so, and then you, you know, and even Red Fox, I couldn't listen to him because his stuff was R-rated. And then of course, Richard Pryor, but Live on the Sunset Strip is probably one of the greatest yeah. comedy albums of all time. And I remember my dad owned it. And I would sneak it and listen to it. And man, it, you talk about laughing. Yeah. I mean, it was so funny. And then I was kind of at that age when you had comedians like booking stadiums and stuff like that. And when Eddie Murphy did Delirious. And yeah. I mean, some of the folks that are listening to this can remember that. But then there's a there's a whole new generation that, you know, their greatest comedians are reaching them through TikTok. Yeah. You yes. know what I'm saying? So it's it's kind of come from a place where we were in vinyl before and then, you know, we iterate, we kept iterating and then we would have some of our favorite comedians. We'd see them in movies and we'd see them online on shows or on HBO and then Netflix. But now like my kids, it's so accessible. It's like anybody that's funny can do a bit or a skit and show up for everyone to see. Mm -hmm. That's how people are getting discovered nowadays. Yeah. That's we're hitting the TikTok now. Like we're, we're starting to hit that now. We're starting to hit all platforms because it's true. Like I'm watching these comedians that are like first started out as making funny videos and now they're touring doing comedy sets. And yeah. I was like, that's crazy. Cause I, cause that's not their first instinct is to be a comedian. They started like this guy named the polar bear. Okay. He was just a, he made funny videos. I didn't even know he was a comedian until I saw <laughs> until I saw him on like he has a tour out and I was like, what? Yeah. So yeah, like I know what you're saying about TikTok and like we, you know, doing that because a lot of people that make videos and like stuff like that, that they get discovered like that. So sure. it's like now I have to figure it out. And I was like, all right, how do I work this TikTok? Yeah. How do I do that? Yeah, I know, right? I, I'm a little older for TikTok, but I, I wouldn't mind. I have some ideas about how I'm going to use TikTok, especially with this new business that I just started. But that's neither here nor there. I think that it's the the understanding of you know, TikTok is a channel, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way that as a kid growing up, I would turn to channel two, four, five, and seven, because those were the local channels in my area. In the same way that we turned to 4029 or whatever, you know, TikTok is a channel. Mm-hmm. Facebook is a channel. Instagram, a channel. LinkedIn is a channel. Each channel represents something different mm-hmm. to different people. And so, you know, it's just that ability to understand the channel that you want to go in and also understand where is your audience? Yeah. What channel do they frequent the most? Right. But I mean, I, I love for you just to kind of talk about like, were you always interested in comedy, even back to a child growing up in, in South Central? So, LA? you know, growing up, I, I grew up in a rough neighborhood. And, you know, when you're on TV, I'm just uh, the stuff that I was into, like I would play soccer, like all stuff, you know, growing up as a kid. And mm-hmm. I just remember one day, you know, flipping the channel and I, I just remember waking up and sitting there and I was like, I'm going to turn on TV and I turn on TV and I see George Lopez mm-hmm. and he was doing stand up. I've never seen, I've seen stand up, but I've never seen stand up. Yeah. Cause I, I would watch the Kings of Comedy and that Cedric the Entertainer. Sure. You know, all those guys. And I would see them and I was like, man, this is funny. But the, then the Latin Kings came out. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I remember just turning it on, seeing George Lopez and it made me, I can relate. And it was like, he's brown, he's Mexican, you know, he's just like me and he's <laughs> on TV. Yeah. So like now my imagination opened up and I was like, that always stuck with me. I was really good at sports. I was good at a lot of things, but it was just like something in the back of my mind that's like, I have a thing for just vibing with people. And when I see somebody that, oh, they don't talk too much or the amount of friends that I have is just crazy how there's like different personalities. Like, dude, how do you know all these people? And how do you talk with these people? And I was like, I find something they like and then I dig into it. So I have something in common. So I have something to talk about. 
Yeah. I don't like people getting left out. So when I see that, I encourage them. like, hey, you know, come look at this. Hey, this guy likes this, this and this. And then fair enough. It just, I want everybody to feel like even at shows, my team, we have so many different personalities that I want something for somebody. Yeah. So when you come to a show, you're not just like, oh, I'm, he's only going to talk about this. No, we have different personalities. And I want everybody when they come to the show to get an experience. When they go home, they're like, man, that was so funny. Or like something that makes them like when you, when you eat candy or you eat good food, you go and you're like, man, that was a good dinner last night. Right. Sure, sure. That's how I want people to leave my shows. So right. it excites me. So just seeing that and just the way they laugh or like the way people laugh or people that bet you can't make him laugh or some <laughs> like out of my team, you like people that I know, my friends are like, what do you have in common with this person? Yeah. And it's something that I, I feel like I'm good at because I figure them out, you know, like I figure them out, what do they like? And then I just dig into it. And the moment I see them reach for something, what are they reaching for? You know, what are their, what their Instagram look like? Or just something that just, and I just poke on it. So like all different friends that I have, they all have something that I can touch on base and bring them in. You yeah. know, it's just, it's like something I was gifted with or, you know, I don't know if it's another talent that I got. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, certainly you have to be sensitive to who your audience is, but I also think that to me, humor is an international language, yes. right? That's why even some of the greatest comedians were silent, you know, that they just delivered their comedy through movements. And so I think it's interesting that, you know, and I think I'm, I'm thinking of like Charlie Chaplin, right? Yeah. Or somebody like that. But when you think about today, just you know, being able to kind of share something that's lighthearted, that kind of has a person saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand. That makes sense. I get that. Right. So speaking of which, and, and this is something that I'm curious about, how did you end up here in Northwest Arkansas? So of all places? when I graduated, J.B. Home brought me out here. OK. J.B. Home was like, hey, man, you <laughs> speak Spanish. You know, you look good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 we like the way you're funny, bro. Come right, in, right. Come on in. Now, as soon as, I, as soon as they gave me an offer and I, I came out here. <laughs> How long have you been here? Four years now. Okay, cool. Yeah, wow. Man. So you're like one of the few people that I've been here longer than. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. And you've seen a lot of change even in four years. Oh, yeah. Like I have in eight years. Yeah, I saw snow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't stay long, but it does come from time Oh, it stayed time. a long time for me, man. Well, yeah, too long, right? Because you don't see any snow in LA. If you see snow in LA, you you're, got problems. You're in you the got, mountains. Yeah, Big Bear. You got to go to Big Bear. Yeah. So, well, no. So, okay. So you got out here a couple of years ago working with JB Hunt. At what point in time did you say, hmm, let me really check into this comedy scene here? Because- and the reason why I'm asking that is because honestly, when I moved here, I remember asking around about, hey, where can I go hear some comedy? And people would be not so much blank stares, but they were like, I don't really know. Yeah. Right. You know, like there wasn't really like, oh, go here or go there. And, you know, I remember you know, when I would go to visit L.A., I'd go to the Comedy Act yeah, Theater. Right there. Bam, I mean, bam. Yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of everything. Right. Yeah. So even in Boston, in the improv or or some of the other spots that you could go to, New York City, the same thing. But here, you know, there isn't a an exclusive comedy club. But um, I mean, obviously, at, at some point in time, as we continue to grow, that will probably change. Oh, yeah. But in the meantime, though, it's like, well, people didn't know where to look. So, and, what, I mean, what did, where did you do to kind of beat the bushes to find and identify places for comedy? So, when I, when I first moved here, me and my cousin, he, the one that gave me my name, yep. the Frisco kid, we were in Kansas City. There was an open mic. Okay. And I saw it and I got so excited. I was like, this is, I've always wanted to do this. Yeah, I want to yeah, see if yeah. I'm good at it. You yeah. Know? So we go in there and he starts hyping me up. 
he's like sign up and i was like man i don't know if i want to sign up you know like i'm right. nervous you know just I wasn't, five it was, minutes, I was, right? yeah i wasn't it, i wasn't five yeah. minutes okay. i wasn't nervous but i was just kind of like am i good enough to do it yeah you know so i started thinking about like the one of the guys told me talk about one of your experiences that was the funniest to you yeah so i sat down and then my the guy came up to like hey man everybody's this guy hyped you up everyone's looking forward to your set and i was like great so, <laughs> so he tells me he's like here are the rules you know it's open mic we don't have that many comics tonight so you got five minutes. We light you up at four, so wrap it up and then finish your joke. But if you're good, we'll let you go on. Okay. So I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. I get on stage and it's finally my turn and I go up there and I'm in there, I do a set and I'm sweating. Like I'm <laughs> sweating, sweating. And I was like, man. So, you know, I wipe my sweat off and I, by the end of the night, I'm like, thank you. I'm the Frisco kid. Thank you so much. And I got off stage, it was clapping, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I come off stage, I'm like dripping. I was like, man, those are the longest five minutes of my life. I know, I know. My cousin said, what do you mean five minutes? I was like, you were up there for like 30, 35 minutes, bro. Really? And I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, no, bro, you were up there a long time. <laughs> I was like, man. And the, fair enough, everybody came up to me. I was like, dude, that was like, where are you from? Yeah, or where, yeah. where do you do? Or like, is, do you live here? And I was oh like, my goodness. I'm, from, I'm from LA. And they're like, oh, so you do comedy out there? And I was like, no, bro. <laughs> it, was yeah. the, it was like the first time that I've gotten on a mic and actually done it. And it was just like, ever, after that, coming here, I started looking around and they had like, open mics but it was mostly for music sure so you know it's like when i first started or when i was looking around same you know being out the bush like hey where do i go where do i go where do i go type of thing but now they're everywhere now, mm -hmm. now you can find them here in one in fayetteville the the club uh, 509 at the kava bar here mm -hmm. they do it on thursdays and they do it fridays so they got this in fayetteville this okay. is right here the frisco kid francisco valencia speaking with randy wilburn for Randy's podcast, I Am Northwest Arkansas. You can hear the entire conversation on the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast feed or by going to KUAF.com. And you can also find other podcasts produced at the Carver Center for Public Radio at KUAF.com, including recent new episodes from Resilient Black Women and Points of Departure. This is Ozarks at Large. <laughs> KUAF's Daily Word Game is a five-letter puzzle available to play right now, as in T-O-D-A-Y. Ugh. Okay. You might get the word if you listen to the Ozarks at Large A-U-D-I-O. Okay, okay. Maybe it's because I forgot to remind you that you can play the game at kuaf.com or by subscribing to the Ozarks at Large newsletter that shows up in your email, I-N-B-O-X. Well, maybe you'll have better luck than me. Go try your luck today. January can seem to get off to a late start. There is the post-holiday gear-up, and then, like this year, there can be snow and ice that can, again, slow things down. But we do seem to be shaking off the January doldrums a bit, and that's going to be reflected in upcoming editions of Ozarks at Large. Jagged Little Pill, the national touring musical inspired by the music of Alanis Morissette, opens tonight at the Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville, and we'll talk with a cast member on tomorrow's show. And the new book from Kylie Reed called Come and Get It will be available January 30th. Her first novel, Such a Fun Age, was long listed for the 2020 Booker Prize and was on many year-end best lists. Her new book, set in Fayetteville on the University of Arkansas campus. We'll talk with her soon. 
She'll be at the Fayetteville Public Library as part of her national tour on Wednesday, February 7th. Our conversation with Kylie Reed will air next week on Ozarks at Large. Gina Galena is a crochet artist who has been creating in the Northwest Arkansas area for more than 10 years. She'll be hosting the Wowza Ball at Mount Sequoia on February 10th. It's a celebration of the international world of wearable art fashion and art phenomenon. Ozarks at Large's Sophia Narani reports. The world of wearable art invites artists to use any kind of material, and that's anything, to create a piece of clothing to wear. The world of wearable art or WOW for short, is a design competition and show based in New Zealand that celebrates this form of expression. The competition has received global recognition for its uniqueness and creativity, inspiring artists like Gina Galena. Wowza is the world of wearable art and the wonders of wearable art. In New Zealand, there's the world of wearable art, and it's a big deal, and I've always wanted to go and do that, but it's in New Zealand, it's hard to get to, and so I decided to kind of create a sister event of it here. And this involves the community to where anybody in all skill levels of art, whether you're just a home crafter or a skilled artist is invited to challenge yourself and create something that you would have never normally created. After years of planning, that event eventually became the Wowza Ball. Taking place on Saturday, February 10th at Mount Sequoia, Wowza Ball is an event open to the public that asks for all attendees to wear a costume of their own making. There's a cash prize for the person who is voted to be best dressed also known as the Wowser Ruler. While it's not required to wear a costume, it is strongly encouraged. So if you're creating a wearable art piece and you put a lot of time into it, you can enter it in the contest and you can win a $500 cash prize and that's provided by Experience Fayetteville. So we've got a performance by Ginger Styles out of Oklahoma, and she's going to do a little, a little hot number, and then we'll begin the event with um, the contest, which is going to be pageant style, you know, where you walk up, and then Hannah Weathers, uh, Brandy Lee, and Jessica Ferguson are going to be our judge judges, and they'll ask some questions, and we're going to have a bunch of art and fun and games, and it's an interactive, you know, we're not going to have any live bands, it's just going to be us hanging out and just celebrating wearable art, fashion and art. Throughout the month of January, Phoenix Arts and Mount Sequoia hosted free workshops to help people create something to wear to the ball, even those that might not call themselves artists. So the workshops are to help people get inspired. You know, um, we have the paper mache and that kind of helps people to make masks or hats and we had the upcycle, you know, just to get people to be creative and to, you know, find an outlet that they can do something. And I had a girl, she says, oh, I can, I can only draw a stick figure. And I was like, that's perfect. Draw a thousand of them on a suit. So a costume is something you wear to transform into. Wearable art means you're the canvas and you're wearing art. There really is no limit. There's no rules. The workshops and the ball itself were supported by several businesses in the community. Our local sponsors who have donated and helped make all of this free for us. We've got an amazing community. We've got Maxine's Taproom, Cheap Thrills, Levert Lounge, Little Bread Company, Experience Fayetteville, and the Cobble Bar. It's going to be at Mount Sequoia's Miller Hall. 
Doors are at 6, tickets are $20, and you can buy any of that on my website at ginagalena.com, and it will direct you to the Wowza page with further information and information on our sponsors. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can visit Gina's website, G-I-N-A-G-A-L-L-I-N-A dot com, to view her crochet art and find out more about the upcoming Wowza Ball. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Sophia Narani. Area blood agencies continue to try to make up for lost donations because of winter weather. Officials with Our Blood Institute say they have had to cancel many mobile blood collections for the better part of two weeks. OBI, the sole provider of blood to the central Arkansas area and Fort Smith, is asking for donors to give blood as soon as travel becomes safe for them. By the way, America's Blood Centers has released new information about blood donations across the United States. Their survey shows about 3% of eligible donors do give blood, and about a fourth of annual blood donations are made by first-time donors. Women account for just more than 54% of the blood donated in the United States each year. The Fort Smith baseball team that is scheduled to play in the new Mid-America League later this year now has an official name. They're the Marshals. The league will include teams in Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas and will serve as a developmental league for current college baseball players. The announcements of Marshals as the mascot was made at the U.S. Marshals Museum last week. Other teams in the league that have also announced their mascots, the Abilene Flying Bison, and the Sherman Shadowcats. Hey, the idea to bring a Major League Baseball team to Northwest Arkansas, if only for one night, is proving very popular. The Kansas City Royals are scheduled to face their AA affiliate, the Northwest Arkansas Naturals, on Monday, March 25th. Tickets first became available yesterday morning, and as of now, only tickets for the berm are left for that game. The exhibition game will be played just days before the start of the regular season for both clubs. And nominations are now being accepted for the 2024 Arkansas Food Hall of Fame. There are again five categories, including an honor for a long-standing restaurant that has made an impact on Arkansas food culture. That's the Arkansas Hall of Fame Award. Plus, Proprietor of the Year, the Best Food-Themed Event, a People's Choice Award for a restaurant or food truck. It could be old or new. That is especially popular. And the Gone But Not Forgotten category, for recognizing restaurants that have closed, but we still have fond memories of. More about the nominating process can be found at arcfoodhof.com. Just think Arc Food Hall of Fame. arcfoodhof.com. Award finalists will be announced in May, and the eventual honorees will be inducted into the Arkansas Food Hall of Fame at a ceremony in September. This Wednesday on Ozarks at Large, the transgender experience in Arkansas with Ethan Avanzino. So growing up, um, I always felt like I was different. We didn't really have the language of being trans or gender nonconforming, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s. And so the best way I knew how to communicate to my mom was asking her if I could be a boy. The Transgender Experience in Arkansas, or T, is a series of conversations with seven transgender youth, men, and women who reside in northwest Arkansas. T is a production of KUAF Public Radio recorded in the Listening Lab. To listen to the full conversation with Ethan, you can visit listeninglabkuaf.com forward slash T-E-A. You can always hear the most recent edition of Ozarks at Large by asking your smart speaker to please play 
Ozarks at Large. And you can find full editions of past shows, as well as individual stories, pieces, and interviews, and more at OzarksAtLarge.com. And we can always bring you the news of where you live on your schedule. The Ozarks at Large podcast is free, and it's readily available wherever you find your podcasts. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF 91.3 Fayetteville. Contributors today include Jack Travis, Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Sophia Narani, and Randy Wilburn. Oh, it's so good to look outside the window and not see snow. Isn't it wild that a freezing rain <laughs> melted the snow away? Yeah, I'm, I'm not complaining. You know, <laughs> the thing about those freezing rain forecasts is they're always within... Like, if it's two degrees colder, it's mm-hmm. bad. If it's two degrees warmer, it's just rain. I'll take the rain any day of the year. You were out of town uh, yesterday. You were yeah. making your way back yeah. up to northwest Arkansas yesterday. Um, and so yesterday morning was pretty was pretty gnarly, especially yeah. early in the morning before, you know, the, the temperatures uh, rose. But, um, yeah, it was, it was not fun for a bit here in the morning. But by 10.30, 11 o'clock, I mean, it was just wet. I feel... You know, I, I understand the struggles that educators have because you've mm. not really <laughs> had some rhythm or momentum going since mid-December. But hopefully, it looks like the forecast says warm, still more rain. But I'm done with snow. Yeah. One and done. That's me when it comes to winter weather. There you go. How was the weather where you were? Uh, it was snowy. Mm. It was because it, we we went to family in Kentucky and we just kind of were behind what had dumped here. Right. So... That's why I'm so happy not to see snow now. I don't know how you folks in North Dakota and Wisconsin do it. <laughs> it wouldn't be for me. I'm warm. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm also warm, and I'm Matthew Moore. KUAF is supported by Penguinette's Barbecue, open for curbside pickup seven days a week at Mission and Crossover in Fayetteville, and open seven days a week with dine-in, patio, and curbside pickup at the historic B&B location. PenguinEds.com for menus. KUAF is supported by Dr. Kathleen Wong, a psychiatrist providing infusion therapy for treatment of depression and anxiety disorders. Following NIMH protocol, studies show ketamine infusion therapy can reduce suicidal ideation and is an effective alternative when other treatments fail. drkathleenwong.com for more information.